Yo. Yo. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired. Kairos. Shazanga. Attack. I tell you, what a shit intro. What am I, an 80s rapper? <laughs> back, to, back to attack. You are obviously uh, here for one thing and one thing only. The straight no chase of views of myself, Michael Morgan, and G. What up? And Kairos. Hello. This, of course, is Shots Fired. Well, without Chisanga, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Deep Voice, the chocolatey velvet sounds of Chisanga Mulata will be um, returning next week. But for now, we've got a hell of a lot of content to get through. So, we haven't actually decided on any order, so I'm going to spin the bottle. And my virtual bottle, which has been spun, has come to G. Oh, What's going on, G? Ain't nothing much. Getting ready to uh, run back in the house. New York is on fire with COVID, but I am COVID free, so I'm good. You know, I'm a bit confused by that. I could have sworn that man who wears a lot of makeup or um, sits on a sunbed quite a lot and uh, has got a bouffant, has got a, a wonderful shock of hair. Didn't he say that we are not, and that is addressing the American people, we are not going into a lockdown, that's uh, not going to happen. And But you're saying you are going into a lockdown. Is this a national lockdown or just a local lockdown? No, no. In the the United States, we are not um, organized and nor are we patriotic. We don't do anything as a group. So we're doing this. We're doing this as a state. You know, New York State is now shut down schools and they're just going to slowly but surely shut some more stuff down. Instead of before, they kind of just shut everything down like in a panic, mm-hmm. but now they're just going to do things slowly but surely. But we're headed back home soon. We're going to be mobile, I can tell. Numbers are bad here. Wow. Yeah. You guys safe, that, though? You guys good? Well, we are coming up to our third week in lockdown, and um, I don't care what anybody says. If you have a situation where people are locked down and the numbers are still shooting up, and it's far surpassing what they had estimated it was going to be, um, I don't see us coming out of lockdown anytime soon, even though the politicians would lead us to believe that on December the 2nd, we are going to be uh, back to our original tiers. I had a tier system here, which is like a series of degraded lockdowns. Mm-hmm. I'd be very shocked and surprised, as I say, the deaths are up. The um, incidents in, in terms of infections are up. I'd be very shocked and surprised if we are out of this lockdown, but time will tell. But I'm not a believer. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I just wish this terrible time would be over soon. But everybody listening and my people on the show, just be careful. Wash your hands. Do the right thing until this is all done. How about you, um, Kairos? Is is the situation exactly the same for you in terms of, you know, your, your mayors or your local principalities have, you know, got together and thought, you know what, maybe it's about time we lock, lock, lock things back down. Yeah, it was strange because we like to think of ourselves like, 
ahead of the curve a lot of the time but even that mm. didn't work too well like we had all these policies in place of people having to do certain things not going out not doing and no one was following them that's the problem like yeah. you, uh. you go to the mall and i was thinking like it's probably just the old people not putting on their masks not doing social just no it's the 12 year olds the 16 year olds though mm -hmm. it's the i'm like yo y'all don't care about yeah, yeah y'all don't care about your family y'all don't care about other people's family what the fuck y'all doing but mm. they're gonna do what they're gonna do and so now it's it's over for everybody yeah i mean just before we like you know do, do this subject to death i'm just intrigued though because over here there is apathy over here there is a kind of like everybody's throwing their hands up in the air because the politicians aren't really following the uh the, the letter of the law there's breaches and high level breaches carried out by um, various figures in government so that doesn't like instill confidence in the rest of the population who at the moment are feeling that you know, for one, this is a hoax. Two, it's on a level where it's not as serious as, you know, they, 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 they feel is being pushed to them. There's an agenda behind this. There's a conspiracy theorist. By and large, um, this lockdown is not a lockdown. Do, do you guys have the same kind of, like, apathy over there? Are people, like, not taking it seriously? Oh, yeah. I, I think we're the, the, you know, the nation that's probably not taking it the serious the most to be honest with you we're very oh, divided wow. but i know in my little neighborhood in brooklyn we take it very serious but it's different pockets of new york where they're not i went fishing mm. in an area called sheep's head bay not too long ago and that community was just living as if there wasn't a pandemic i was looking around with my mask on kids in strollers like we are in a pandemic what are y'all doing but i kept mm. my mask on mind my business and then i went back to flatbush where we all wear gloves and masks and was you know i was safe again but it's it's kind of what cairo said a lot of people are ruining it for us but when we but all of us have to run back in the house though whether you're doing the right thing or not you know so it just sucks wow mm -hmm. well i don't know how we segue into this week's show but we do have a few issues which we're bringing to the table in yeah, terms yeah. of burning issues. I think it's only right as we have two gentlemen and a lady that you start things off first, G. It what are you bringing to the table this week? Well, Michael, it is my pleasure, and I love being the only lady because I get spoiled and I get to go first. <laughs> so I want to talk today about Bloody Elbow and why online, online fans are so angry with this media outlet. And that's basically the question I'm going to ask both of you when I'm done with my spiel. Why, mm. why or what is your perspective on why the fans just want to trash these people? And here's my perspective. So let me give you my impression of Bloody Elbow and how I see them. When I first started watching MMA, I couldn't get enough of it. I started watching with UFC and Tough, and then it turned into the WEC. And then I saw Nick Diaz and KJ Noons going at it in Strike Force, and I needed more. And then I turned around and realized I have no homegirls that are into this, and I was all by myself. <laughs> like, I had no one to talk to about my new fever in MMA. So I began yeah. reading about MMA via Bloody Elbow and MMA Junkie. And when I say reading these outlets, I mean like 10, like a long time ago, before they were like popular in MMA, you know, like... And I preferred Bloody Elbow and quickly realized, holy shit, I can interact with other people just as obsessed with MMA right under a Bloody Elbow article. So I created a... Mm. Um, you know, an account handle similar to Twitter, and it was called How You Son. And it didn't take long for Bloody Elbow to ban me permanently from their forums because I started. Wow. Oh, yeah. You know, 
Mike, you know I ain't never gonna change, man. Like I, you know, I, good. <laughs> I've been banned from Twitter like four times. Bloody Elbow was no different. In fact, they banned me twice. I emailed them the first time and was like, "Listen, I lost my temper. I'm sorry. I'm new to this." They were like, "No problem." <laughs> <laughs> that's how. That's how badly I wanted to interact with fans because I had no one before Mike and Kairos. None of my homegirls from Howard or family watched this. So I emailed Bloody mm. Elbow and I'm like, yo, get me off of this. I'm sorry. They were like, no problem. Two hours later, they banned me again because I called someone a, like a twat or something. I don't know. Uh, so two I'm banned. Hours later. <laughs> yeah, I would say two to four hours later, I, f- I lost it again. And they banned me permanently. And, it, and rightfully so. I was being an asshole. So recently, I went down a bloody elbow rabbit hole and I found Trent Reinsmith's mentions. And I have to say, that I think if if all of us die and go to hell, we're all gonna see each other in his motherfucking mentions. I think his mentions are just like Sodom and Gomorrah and hell. And you know what? I think if Trent was like a black guy or trans or gay, there might not be no Trent. The way these kids just murder this man in his mentions is unreal. But then when I look at his content, I'm like, why do they hate him? He's an advocate for fighters pay and you know, the UFC doing the right thing. Um, he's also was against the pandemic when we and, and most of us on this show were at first in March when the UFC was yeah. like we all thought this was a global crisis and that it wasn't a good idea. Bloody Elbow and people like Trent and Zane Simon agreed. And I did notice that Bloody Elbow leans a bit to the left. And I just don't quite understand why they're so hated. And in fact, we have also someone named Kareem Zidane. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. I hate yep. Am I? Dreams of that. Thank God. I really like this guy because he, to me, is an investigative journalist in MMA. And I don't feel like we get that a lot. And then this is the type of guy that got me into, you know, the Chechen dictator. I'm, I love Khabib and how he fights. But I had no idea that he rubbed elbows with the dregs of society all the way in another country. And that these people were doing horrible things. So what did Kareem do? He spit out all these facts. He wrote a beautiful article. And I read it. And he's the type of guy that's like, what the hell? Uh, now I got to go on Google and Google Kadrov. And what is Khabib doing over there? It's like I was, it's like I'm always learning when he writes something. And I appreciate it. And then, of course, you have like the, the podcast. Connor Rebush is like crazy technical. Just recently, Cookie from Crooklyn MMA taught me the difference between pound for pound fighter versus the GOAT. And meanwhile, I cover MMA and I'm spreading misinformation about what the difference is. You know, like I'm still learning. And who am I learning from? Bloody elbow. Then one more example. Zane Simon covers um, MMA. He's been doing it, what, nine, ten years, MMA journalist, podcast rights. He's been doing it for years. So he tweeted, you know, RDA versus Felder was kind of like a weak card or something, and he wanted to skip it. You would have thought he said something about somebody's fucking mother. Yo, the kids <laughs> ratioed him. Coach Kavanaugh came in there and had something to say. And I'm thinking, he covers the fight. And he covers the fight. So that should be the person that should have an opinion about a fight card. And secondly, he covers the fight. And the f- card was weak like when i was like what are they upset about i go on the card it it was a weak card but everybody drags them you know and and in my mind you know me guys i did a little research i contacted i put out a tweet and i got some bloody elbow people to join in and and give us their perspective on why people hate them and i spoke to um crooklyn mma Steffi myself and she made a good point 
that the Ian Kidd scandal will always be something that's on their back because people yeah. blame them for that. And meanwhile, people that worked there, like Steffi, was like, he was hired before some of us were even working there and we didn't know him. Or when they did hire him, none of us knew about his previous arrest. And he did mm-hmm. a good job of hiding it. And they did a superb job when he was you know, caught. He was um, deemed a child molester. He was fired immediately. And everyone who works at Bloody Elbow is vocal about the fact that they can't stand that he worked there and he's disgusting. To me, I'm like, my hands are clean. They did the right thing. I'm over it. So my topic today, gentlemen, what is your perspective on so much hate and why MMA fans hate Bloody Elbow when I think they're doing good investigative work and they don't kiss Dana's ass and they and, and they say the things that most you know journalists don't say and they do the work. You can fact check Kareem and Trent. The shit is facts. It's not fake news. So I'm going to start with, I always start with Mike. You're spoiled too, Mike. <laughs> you go first. Why do the fans hate them and what do you think of this uh, media outlet? Well, first of all, I've got the utmost respect for Bloody Elbow. From the time that I've been um, in MMA media and having a media outlet, I've always um, coupled myself, and that is had partnerships with larger um, mixed martial arts outlets. Mm -hmm. One of them, actually there were three. One was ESPN. We had a media partnership with ESPN. The other was Middle Easy. We had a media partnership with Middle Easy. But the third was Bloody Elbow. Now, these media partnerships that had previously taken place before Bloody Elbow were just around video content. They would host our video content in the case of Middle Middle Easy. Mm -hmm. In the case of ESPN, they would pay for all the flights, travel, accommodation, and um, a a, a small salary to create content which we could co-badge. But Bloody Elbow was the only platform that I've actually written for and actually co-badged our content because I wanted to see my work on there. I respected the title. I liked the fact that they are straight no chaser in their views. Mm-hmm. They're not fanboys. They're very, very mature in their outlook and in their thinking. So I've always respected that. Obviously, that puts them at loggerhead with your uh, quote-unquote fanboys because... They're looking for fluff. They're looking for puff. They're looking for you to exalt the UFC to stratospheric heights, warts and all. They don't want to hear about all the bad stuff. They only want to see vanilla reporting. Now, I've got friends over at um, MMA Junkie. I've got friends over at you know other media outlets, but nobody is telling it straight up no chaser because they don't care about credentials like Bloody Elbow. Right, yeah. Whether it's Trent whether it's Kareem, these are fearless individuals who actually grace these pages because they're not looking to be um, hobnobbing front and centre cage side. They're looking for stories, compelling issues that they can expand upon, a more cerebral outlet. But why I think that, you know, just to kind of bring everything to a a kind of like natural close here, Mm -hmm. just in terms of my view, why I think that they are hated, why I think that they are um, a lot of people don't have time for them 
has a lot, I feel, especially in recent years, to do with Ian Kidd. He sullied their name. He basically left them with a massive stain on their reputation because what was, and I think it's an untruth, and it's an untruth that has been presented as fact, what was the story, what was the narrative around Ian Kidd is that he had enablers at Bloody Elbow. Completely unfounded, completely untrue, completely made up, but that story gathered legs. That story actually gathered momentum. And that's what actually, I felt, um, led to like a cascade of, of hate, not just towards Trent, but, you know, other writers on the actual platform. Now, for me, the way that I look at it, mm-hmm. all unfounded, but it goes back to the whole narrative of, you know, everybody's looking for a reason to hate the outlet. Everybody's looking for, you know, the outlet which is going to praise and exalt uh, their beloved UFC, but everybody's looking for, well, the access in terms of um, the usual or run-of-the-mill puff pieces, and that isn't what Bloody Elbow is about. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I you know, I mentioned that um, I put out a tweet because I wanted people's voices and input for this very segment, and Captain, yeah, his name is so crazy, Captain Head Ass Sicker, like. Almost like Jessica, but head ass. <laughs> Yo, Twitter, y'all are crazy. He said this, and it's about the Ian Kidd thing. He said, "Thing that the thing that people are going to be hesitant to bring up, except you know, except for the shitty right wing turds and alley, the alley groupies, is Ian Kidd. The whole situation yeah. is just such a black eye for the site." And this is the most important part of his tweet. And it takes nuance to understand why Bloody Elbow writers and editors weren't at fault. And I do agree with that. I've actually worked with someone when I was a cop. I worked with someone that got arrested for being an online pedophile. And they quietly took him out the back door. And I had no idea that at least for a year that I was working with someone that was trying to entice someone online that was 14. But in my field of work, they were able to fire him he was arrested and it was done quietly but i'm pretty sure if the media had taken hold of it they would have been like oh gina you knew or da 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 meanwhile i didn't know in fact i Mm. thought he was a nice guy i liked him i was shocked i was like who no way he was one of the nicest white boys i worked with but unbeknownst Mm. to me he was online trying to hook up with 14 year olds so it's i think it's I think it's true what he says here, nuanced. You have to understand that just because someone distasteful works someplace doesn't mean they were enabled or that the people even knew about his past. But people use that to, to shit on Bloody Elbow. And I yeah. do see it in the mentions sometimes, you know. But I have some, like, awesome comments. And as we break this down, I might interrupt you to read if it just coincides with your thoughts. But I've got some good ones here. But what about you, um, What about you, Kairos? What are you thinking? I don't want to play the blame game, but there's a method to me playing the blame game really quick. I'm going to say 90% of it is because of Trent, and it's unjustly so. You go to his, Mm. you go to Bloody Elbow and you go down his articles and you look at him. I'd say eight or nine times out of 10, it's positive stuff. It's, It's not him bashing the company. It's not him bashing Dana. It's not him bashing anyone in particular. He's like praising the events or are going through the events and talking about certain matchups or whatever. He's being a journalist. But then he has yes. like one or two that are slightly negative. What? It's like, okay, fine. You're a reporter. You're a writer. You're going to write about things that are negative. Like, so what? But I go down his Twitter feed and a lot of the posts that get the most traction in a mm. negative way are his negative posts. So 
all the people are going to see who don't follow him are his articles that may not be positive puff pieces. And on Twitter, what you see is what you think of people. So if all I ever see is you trash in the UFC based off of people quote tweeting you and ratioing you and retweeting you, all I'm going to think about you is that you're a negative person. And because of the fact that we're in the era where a lot of people aren't going to be reading articles a lot of people aren't going to be going to blogs we have the microwave generation where people just want their food right then and there even though it might not be the most healthy for you that's what happens so there's no one actually going back to see what trend actually writes other than those pieces so then it looks bad on bloody elbow and also mm -hmm. you have certain people for bloody elbow who do an amazing job but they aren't always the most appreciated voices or the most echoed voices yeah. down the hall because it's yeah. like because like well he ain't trash and shit so there's nothing i can really right. talk about I, I ain't i ain't talking about it Right. So I think that's another issue of it, too. Yeah and, yeah, and I also think not everyone's a geek like me. Like, I'm in school. Like, I love to read. I like to do research. I do research, academic research for school. So, like, when Kareem does the research, I'm in. I'm, I'm on Google. Or if Trent breaks down something and there's all types of facts I'm not aware of, I have to hit Google and, and, and find out where he got it from and, and divulge into that. And I go down a rabbit hole of knowledge and I love it but I don't know if a lot of fans are like that and I don't a lot of them I don't know if they can differentiate the truth from just someone reporting the truth rather than someone actually being negative you know I actually see in his comments people like you never have nothing nice to say and I'm just like that's his job it's not his job to say not ha have something nice to say but he's the guy that's pushing the envelope as far as fighters pay and and the, wanting the fighters to be safe matter of fact Trent saw my tweet asking for perspectives about this very topic we're discussing and in the middle of a conversation with someone he said oh yeah this is from Trent oh yeah I still get um, I still get this guy wanted to shut the UFC down which no I wanted the UFC to be safe and not run away from regulation, which I'm assuming is COVID. And he said, which remember is 100% what I did. But yet fans interpret him being an advocate for fighters and their safety as negativity. And I'm telling you, I don't know why his mentions are hell because of it. And you know, quite a few people had opinions about it, you know, and you know what I thought was interesting? The, a lot of people commented, but a lot of people from Bloody Elbow commented. So I felt like they must really get a lot of shit because I just put this out there randomly. I have a new page. I don't even have a lot of followers. And they found this tweet and they was like, oh, I got something to say. And look at <laughs> look at Victor Rodriguez. When You know, the question is, why do the fans dislike Bloody Elbow? Here he goes, Victor Rodriguez. And he's also my man. Been following him for years. And he's really cool. And he said, a few reasons. We don't capitulate to promoters and their narratives. We don't sugarcoat the negatives of the sport. Some just want sports content and get mad that they can't escape the trappings of the real world overlapping with MMA. What do you think of that? You see, it goes back to what I was saying about them not being sycophants or pandering to those people who basically want to see all glossy and uh, lovely fluffy stories. They keep it hundred percent and i feel that this is such a refreshing um option in mixed martial arts journalism why shouldn't there be room for a bloody elbow why shouldn't there be uh, room for journalists who are actually going to take tell it warts and all as it is and be advocates for the fighters themselves because ultimately we all love the sport we all want it to be continued and we all want it you know to be a space where people are treated fairly so why not yeah, 
Yeah, I definitely, I learned so much talking to like fans and also talking to the staff of Bloody Elbow, whether it's this tweet or by phone. And a lot of them too said like, we do lean left a bit, a little bit. And when I mean lean left, people that lean left tend to believe in science. And in March, Bloody Elbow was adamant in telling folks that uh, we feel like there should be more done about the COVID regulations. And Trent still speaks about those COVID regulations, you know? So maybe that is a left leaning point of view in a sport where a lot of people lean right, including the fans. But what I think is really interesting, Cookie was like, Crooklyn MMA, Steffi was telling me, you know, a lot of the fighters have these um, far right views, but 65% of them are people of color, which is very interesting. So to me, it sounds like, yes, I didn't know that. And it sounds like to me that although 65% of the UFC is very diverse and different, you know, people of color and, and diverse, the voices on the far right are louder and the fans wow. are, are exactly, I was stunned too. And the voices on the far right, just it sounds like to me, this is how I interpret it, that they're louder. And this, mm. me, this media outlet gets the blues. And meanwhile, someone like me who also leans left, so maybe I'm biased, but I just love their investigative work. And it's unfortunate that people don't fact check on it like I do and just fall in love with the fact that they're doing a really good job of breaking things down. I've I've never had an interest to, to study Kadrov and, and the Chechen, you know, empire and, and just the terrible things going on. I mean, Karim even found a picture, I think, of Shemaev with the with um, someone from Kadrov's group that is I think he runs like the camps. You know, and I was Jesus. just like, oh, Jesus Christ. But how do we not know that unless somebody is doing good investigative work? Mm. And I don't care that it's negative. It's the truth. Isn't that what journalism is? Exactly. Right. So I just it's unfortunate that we have a lot of knuckleheads that just can't handle it. But if you think about it, fellas, it doesn't just apply to MMA journalism. I think it's everywhere. Look at the emergence of fake news. I fucking hate that shit. You know, look how nobody wants to believe Dr. Fauci and, and the scientists. Oh, everything is a conspiracy mm. theory nowadays. I just feel like I literally fit, live in a world, inclu- and MMA is also included in this world, where nobody wants the truth. They want, they want fake news. Everybody complains about fake news, but I think everybody wants fake news. They don't want to yeah. know when Connor gets arrested. They just want to know that Connor is making a commercial for Proper 12. Well, that's not what's going on. He's in a little bit of trouble sometimes. Why are you mad at the messengers and not the fighter? You know? Be mad at Ian Kidd for being a pervert and hiding it and and infecting Bloody Elbow with his nastiness and hiding his past. Don't take it out on Cookie. You know what I'm saying? Mm. (laughs) I, I don't know. I just don't have this type of thinking, and it's unfortunate to see. But I still rock with Bloody Elbow, and they can keep me banned. I deserve to be banned. I'll just (laughs) (laughs) – I will just continue to read their articles and try to not get banned on um, Twitter. (laughs) Well, actually, G, seems that you bring this up. Mm -hmm. Me and Kairos were speaking before you came on the show, and you're banned. Oh, for real? Yeah, you're banned from – you're banned from Shots Fired. Oh, sh- oh, from the show too? Damn. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That wasn't me. Mike said why that. Would, why wouldn't I be surprised? I'd be like, well, how long is it? Is it permanent or do I need to delete a tweet? Like, what do I do? <laughs> Speaking of Kairos, I suppose that neatly segues into what you're bringing to the table this week. You guys spoke about it last week. Um, G, you were talking about how like you showed up to 
do press for, I think it was 246 or whatever event it was. And you were saying that when you first got there, you came with like this, I guess, fan mentality. And you're like talking yes. to people like friendly and like asking for pictures and stuff. And you saw that no one else was doing it. And no. And here's my thing. I can understand if people want to be like a writer or a reporter or like that sort of type of thing. And like you want to present yourself as such. But I feel like media member is such a general term to the point where it's just like, aren't we all fans of the sport? Don't we all love Thank you, these Kyle. fighters? Don't we all like in, like yep. indulge in this? And it's like, I'm here to challenge that notion. I'm here to sit back and say, you know what? I don't care that Luke Thomas isn't talking to someone in a friendly manner and enjoying them or wishing the best for these people or talking to them like they're human beings. I feel like stuff like that is what feeds into this constant Mm -hmm. reflux of people thinking that these fighters aren't human beings either it's like okay we yeah. gotta treat them like they're lions in the zoo you make yep. a wrong move they might bite your head like okay i i don't like that one bit i don't like the fact that there are these unwritten rules on how to conduct yourself because a lot of people are too afraid to express themselves or who they truly are so they hide behind this facade of oh well the professionals don't act that way like motherfuckers some of y'all aren't even professionals like we right. see the quality of your work you ain't but a professional right. maybe if you put that towards how you produce your like catalog of work maybe it'll be more believable so i guess my perspective is this as long as if I'm if I'm showing up to an event as a media member, as long as I'm not like screaming from the cross room, hey Dan Hooker, can I please get a picture? Which I did oh not do. Yes, exactly. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or or I'm not coming up to you trying to hug up on you and like nope. like that sort of attitude. Like it shouldn't be a problem. It, I don't think it should be a problem one bit, especially can, if I'm reading the room. Can I interrupt real quick? Um, Kairos, qui um, yes. quick story so I can just give you the mindset like when you work back there and you don't know that. I agree with you. When I saw Tiago Santos walk in because his, you know, his girl Yanni was fighting and um, she was speaking and he was in the back watching his boo. And I was that's when I was like, man, I'm going over there to talk to Tiago. And I was able to talk to him, Did I, but I couldn't get him on the podcast. But I was able to talk to him and I took a picture with him. And then I, I kind of said to him, man, I need you to get better so that you can, you know, beat John Jones. You almost had it. And he whispered in my ear, soon, don't worry. And it was so cute. And then we took a picture. Do you know someone like who worked security at the uh, media event was like, you're media and you can't do that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm not Luke Thomas. I'm a woe TV podcaster. Like, I just literally came over here to get him to talk my podcast. He just doesn't have time. I'm not like, it's kind of, I agree with Kairos. Like, yes, I am a part of media, kind of, but I'm a loudmouth podcast host. It's different. I feel like I can take a picture with someone and then use that picture to be like, this guy's on my podcast. So it can, it gets confusing to me. And I didn't like that. So I'm with Kairos on this one, you know, because Kairos, they really do come out and be like, you can't do that. And you're like, what the fuck? And then when Luke Thomas saw um, Tiago Santos, he straight up just took a picture of him without him in the photo, you know, almost like a mugshot of Tiago. And I was like, I don't want that. I want me and Tiago in our fist in the air and taking a photo for Twitter and the, and the pod, you know. But it, it, it's just very disheartening. It's like I'm not, a, I'm not big time like Luke Thomas. I can be a little biased, you know. Go ahead. It, and I, I think that, that that's where the problem um, gets very, very sticky there is this perceived notion that as a journalist you should be unbiased you should be um uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, balanced yeah but um it's really weird because do you remember the mma aj 
uh, or JA, sorry, the Mixed Martial Arts uh, Journalists Association. Do you remember that? Mm, not really. Yeah, in the dim and distant um, uh, echoes of time, they had created this entity where, as an umbrella organization, it welcomed journalists from across the globe who were mixed martial arts scribes, videographers. Basically, if you were in the MMA journalist sphere, you were invited in. But a few people had their um, qualification, or sorry, their uh, application revoked because. In their picture, uh, Twitter bio, sorry, they were shown with fighters bumping fists and on their Facebook pages or um, it was Instagram. A lot of them were found to be, um, you know, canoodling or snuggling up to fighters. And it was that that got them actually um, barred from the MMAJA. Wow. Now, I, I don't know how extensive this methodology was used to actually siphon out who was going to be in the MMAJA or not. But this is where it gets a little bit sticky. Mm -hmm. When you look at the... uh, I'm not going to name names because I think it's a little bit unfair um, because I know some of these people and I respect them, but facts are facts. There are lots of members in the MMAJA who are bumping fists and um, cuddling up and canoodling with fighters. Now, if you go back in their archive photos, if you go back in their Instagram, many of them may have expunged those, many of those might have erased them, but they have been there because they've been shown them. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. But secondly, there is this um, notion that another aspect of being a mixed martial arts journalist is, again, impartiality with not just the fighters, but promoters. Now... Again, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I just want to state this. Mm-hmm. I was told by a prospective member of the MMAJA that they were at a steakhouse with uh, Scott Coker, who had laid on this uh, sumptuous meal, and there were a gaggle of mixed martial arts journalists there who did not pick up the tab. It was picked Mm. up by Bellator Stroke, Scott Coker. Now, this was told to me um, by someone, as I say, who was being invited onto the MMAJA, but declined because he saw the hypocrisy. It was him that actually, (coughs) excuse me, let me rewind. It was them that actually pointed out the hypocrisy of the fist bump photos and pictures. It was them that pointed out to me that they were sat there eating steak with the rest of the MMA JA. Now, when this was brought up at, um, again, this individual, sorry, individuals were at this meeting of the MMA JA, not as members, but uh, I think it was as observers or in some capacity, but again, not as, as members. It was brought up and not many people who were at that steak dinner brought up the fact that they were at that steak dinner. They were talking about in the context of we should be seen to be impartial, we should be seen to be not aligned to any promotion or close to any promotion. But that issue kind of got skirted over when nobody mentioned that they were at the steakhouse the previous day. (laughs) So all I'm saying to you is this. I can see where you both are coming from. Not that I agree with it, because I do think that, you know, there is an element of um, perceived impartiality that you have to give. But when you look at it in the cold light of day, it's it's hypocrisy. Because we all know how we feel about certain fighters. At heart, 
we are fans of the sport and fans of, you know, the, the whole um, mix of the sport, whether it be promoters, whether it be um, fighters, whether it be managers, we have special relationships with them. That's where the exclusives come in. So you cannot tell me, A, that there is impartiality, B, that um, there aren't certain um, arrangements put in place to hand, especially um, when you hear and you read, a source has told X publication that no, you got that directly from the promoter, a manager, or a fighter. So don't tell me that those special relationships aren't nurtured. Don't tell me that those special relationships aren't ramped up. So there is bias there. There is um, special relationships which are being nurtured. So I can wholeheartedly understand where you both are coming from. But you're saying there's room for <laughs> corruption or just bias if we do mix and mingle like that's what they're trying to prevent that's 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 the perception mm. that there is a possibility that you could be influenced if you are close to a fighter a promoter or a manager i mean but the fact is this is rife it goes on i mean it's just it's just a little bit annoying because how like some mma media people have personalities like look at the schmo look at robbie barstool he's some prick that gets to interview dana because you know he doesn't <laughs> ask questions that really get him roused up i can't stand him um and he has he has such a following. I tweeted once that he was a wuss, and I wanted to shove him in a toilet. Like if if we were in the same high school, and man, his army came for me. Uh, wow! <laughs> but it was a joke. It was like a crude joke. It wasn't. I didn't really feel that way. But you know, Twitter people take you serious, and people thought I was threatening him, but I mm. was not. But my point being is that people have colorful personalities. Like look at mine. I curse. I'm a sailor. Da 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 da. You know, and I say what I want, but that doesn't mean. I'm not backstage interviewing someone and on my best behavior, but at the same time, yeah. I'm not Luke Thomas. Like, I'm not a powerful MMA media person. I'm here to interview people from a podcast. So I get frustrated when it's like, I want to get personal with these people. And look at the questions I even ask people. They're off the wall. What, what, what's the craziest thing a fan has done? What's it like being black? What's it like being gay? So I kind of need these photos and try to get close to these people and whatnot. So I find, I hear what you're saying, Mike, but I do think sometimes like maybe podcasters should maybe be able to take a photo. I don't know. I want the rules bent for me so that I can get what I need <laughs> and not be Luke Thomas, you know? I mean, put it this way. There is nobody stopping you or Kairos from doing that. All I'm saying, yeah. it's definitely frowned upon. I don't want to get kicked out. Which the lady is showed up. Yeah, I thought I was going to get kicked out. The lady with a very stern face, she was old and shit. She was like, nah, you're not doing that here. And I just tried to like make a joke and be like, okay. And her face didn't change. She was pissed. And I was like, mm. man, I'm about to get thrown out if I do this again. I'm good. But I had got my photo, lady, so forget that. Yeah, Kairos, fuck all you were that. saying right, exactly. What were you saying, Kairos? I was gonna say because you keep mentioning journalists, and, and that's why that's one of the things that I want to make sure I stay away from. I don't want I don't to be perceived you. as such. I don't want you to treat me like a journalist. Mm -hmm. I want you to see me as a person who's just doing videography. And one of the best Content ways, producer, exactly. exactly. Me too. So when I Fabulous. one thing that I notice about people is that when you turn that camera on and you point it at them, they're gonna act differently whether they consciously perceive it or not and so one of the things that i have learned over time is i'm going to talk to you how i am as a person whether i'm behind the camera or in front of the camera with you to get you more comfortable to speak how that, you truly are that's me 
yeah i don't want to have these cooker cutter like so how's the weight cut go like no fuck yeah, this i, I, I want to know why, why you didn't fight the person who cut you off when you're driving to the arena like that right, that's right, what i want to know me too i'd be like you gay how many yo you got <laughs> gay groupies yo like i remember macy chazon poor macy couldn't really you know she has a girlfriend and shit so she was like no you know i'm not that famous and shit i was like no i want to know about the groupies macy <laughs> But that's you see, like me. And, and those cookie cutter <laughs> questions, I can't stand. Oh, but I hate them. You can still, within professional confines, ask those. But what, what I would say is why not just bill yourself as a videographer or a fanalist? I mean, essentially, what you are is somebody who enjoys the sport, is enthusiastic about the sport. But also wants to document what's going on. Yeah, that's so definitely I don't see any. I don't see the. I don't see there's any issue there. Yeah, because I feel like Kairos is the videographer, like, or he's the man behind the camera, and I'm just the woman behind the voice. Like, I don't need to be, I don't need to be on YouTube or have a show like Ariel. But I do like my voice and podcasting, and I love to be free. You know, I curse. Mm. I, I don't care if you know. I and I'm not in love with a fighter. I can be a fan of them, and then the next day be like, he fought like shit. Or I can pick a fighter <sighs> that I love. Even though I love Masvidal and I've been watching him for years, if he fights Usman, I'm always going to pick Usman. It, I'm, I don't. I'm yeah. not loyal, <laughs> you know. Like, so I just feel a bit different. And I'm like Kairos. I don't want that that um, title, MMA journalist. Nah, I'm mm, fucking mm. around over here. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna close off, but just again because Chisanga isn't here this week. And there's two things that I just wanted to cover before um, we close. One, I wanted to bring my talking point to the table. But before I do that, I think it's only right that we resurrect the ghost of Chisango Malata, who, <laughs> in a pre-record, uh, an interview that he actually conducted with... Jesus. You know, the name has actually literally just slipped out of my head. He did an interview with... Was it Paul Craig? Paul Craig, that's it. Um, he did an interview with Paul Craig, and here it is in its entirety. Y'all must have thought I wasn't turning up tonight. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I couldn't make it to the night screening. Unfortunately, I am tied to my desk doing, doing work, but I'm going to listen eagerly to your thoughts and your topics, in particular the bloody elbow topic, this is something that I wanted to raise myself, but G beat me to the punch. Right, guys, as I'm sure you've already discussed, UFC 255 is right around the corner, taking place in the early hours of Sunday morning. And one of the key matchups that I'm looking forward to the most is the rematch between Paul Craig and Mauricio Shogun Hua. Now, as you all know, and every all the listeners will know, that first fight ended in a controversial split draw. I, for one, scored the fight in favor of the Bear Jew, Paul Craig, but I could see why some people scored it in favor of Shogun. Anyway, I caught up with Mr. Craig, an elated Mr. Craig, following Scotland's qualification for the Euro 2020, their first major tournament in, what, will be 23 years since they, uh, 23 years come uh, come next June. And we talked about the fights. So check out my interview with Mr. Paul Craig, the number 15 ranked light heavyweight in the world. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Long time no speak, mate. It's uh, It's been a while. I know it's been a while, man. How are you doing anyway? I'm well, thank you. I'm well, thanks. But I'm not as well as you. Uh, 
and my missus because obviously last Thursday for the first time in 22 years Scotland have finally qualified for a major football tournament how does it feel mate? I watched it I watched the penalties um, we're Scottish we don't do things easy do we? We like to we like to go a roundabout way of doing it so like I remember watching France 98 and we had um, Brazil in our group and they absolutely hosed us <laughs> so like in my lifetime I'll see them going to two major events and uh, try to get my daughters involved like oh, come and see this this is historical and uh, they, weren't, they weren't that bothered uh, but for me myself man I was shouting at, shouting at the TV uh, football still invokes an emotion um, from me so it was, it was it was quite a happy experience Oh no, I can I, I can imagine so. So, uh, so my fiance is Scottish, and my my kids are are, are going to be Scottish. My kids, whenever whenever I have them, so I, I I was rooting for you guys to 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 qualify. But as you said, you don't do it the easy way. I mean, to concede in the 89th minute—that's the most Scottish thing, Scotland <laughs> Scotland thing ever. But you got there in the end, and that's all that matters. It's crazy, isn't it, man. It's like we. Like the the fairy tale the, the fairy tale stories for Scotland don't really work out that well. They like to they like to throw a spanner in the works because football wise, all the players work well together and they're all high level players. Mm-hmm. When it just came in our last ten fifteen minutes, they just they lost that lackluster that they had for the first seventy plus minutes. Okay, so mo- mo- moving on from that, but I'm sure we'll get back to it eventually because. In the summer, I, th- I think it's June eighteenth. It's going to be England versus Scotland, so I'll be I'll be yep. sure to hit you up before uh, before before that happens. So moving on, yeah, so yeah, so finally, it's I'm trying to think how how long it's been since uh, since you first forged Shogun. Well, anyway, it's been a long time, but you're finally getting your your hands on been, on. It, it was one year yesterday. One year yesterday already. It, it doesn't feel like a year. It, it seems like maybe the fight took place a couple months ago, but. I suppose that's just how 2020 has been, or like the last 12 months, everything's just like molded into one. It's so been, it's been so how how have your preparations for for this fight camp been, especially given the well the the whole tier system and training in Scotland and and everything? I know, um, unfortunately, we're in lockdown at the moment, but uh, everything else has been relatively good. I touch wood, everything went really, really smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our last fight in Abu Dhabi, and we just tagged right on to the back of that. I don't see, I'm not one of these guys who has an off-season, where it's, yeah. right, I'm going to take two to three weeks off, and I'm going to just eat what I want, drink what I want. For me, after that fight, I went straight back to the gym with no fight in line and I just started working on areas that I felt that I can work on always working on my conditioning because I always try to every single fight I try to put a better version of me across and the only way I can do that is by training so Mm -hmm. me and my coach we sat down we looked at certain areas where he wanted to work and then we got the call for the Shogun fight and then we started working specific skills that we felt would uh, enhance our performance against him and for the last from the summer, that's all we've done is is fight is fight Shogun in the gym. Um, I've got I've got training partners um, who we I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, we made a wee bubble, um, mm. so we had people who were self isolating, and it was only we were only having contact with we are we are very few people, his their families and my families, and that way we were able to train. Uh, under Scottish guidelines where like professional athletes can train. Yeah. So we done that and we had them mimicking how Shogun who our moves and 
when my coach Brian was holding pads, he was moving like Shogun, and it's just like these uh, visualize visualizing uh, Shogun standing in front and the way he's moving, uh, and, and it helped massively. But the camp was a very, very good camp, one of the best camps we've done. Um, and it's always a bonus when you can get through a camp and there's no injuries and you come out the other end and you feel energised because there is in the past been a few camps where I've left my best rounds in the gym yeah. where the, my, my actual performance my night performance was left in the gym Okay, and interesting. You said that you uh, for for this fight, you've had your sparring partners and even even your padman specifically move like Shogun. Have you been having them well try to emulate his, his well his best form when say when he was in Pride and uh, when uh, early in the UFC? Because every every time people seem to to write off Shogun, and like and myself included, I've written him off many many times and saying yeah, you should hang it up. He, he he rolls back the rolls back the years and uh, does something that's similar to when he was in his pride. So have you been uh, pride when he was in his prime? Sorry. So have you been having your uh, your training partners drill some of those movements? Um, with regards to Shogun, we've seen him change so much from his days in pride. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still a very experienced guy, and he can turn it on and he can turn it off. So with regards to actually trying to mimic him from back then, we're, we're looking at previous fights, like the last five fights, because we've been very, very successful in there. Um, he is, is he five five wins in his last five fights? Uh, five. He's undefeated in his last six fights. I think yeah. one of them's a draw. Uh, prior to that, it was Anthony Smith, who went for a title shot. So he's on a bit of a tear, believe it or not. And I wouldn't be surprised that he's potentially set up a, a title fight after this fight, like him looking forward, that's probably what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. He's arranged to have a title shot with the UFC. I, 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 I don't know this for certain, but a guy that used to be the uh, Grand Prix world champion, he was a UFC champion, why would he not give him another title shot? The only, the only problem is that I am trying to stop him. I am not going to stop him. I will stop him. Mm-hmm. Um, last fight we fought um, wasn't my night I didn't get the nod it was a draw uh, and I think sometimes that's the that worked out pretty good for me um, because it allows me then to get a full fight camp and fight Shogun Hua again you know sharing, yeah. the, sharing the octagon with a legend like Hua is every fighter in the uh, in the roster would love to do that and I'm getting to do that twice with him and like going going back to that night in uh, it was in Sao, Sao, Sao Paulo, I believe. Um, I, I remember speaking to you before the fight, and you said that you weren't going to let the the nerves and the um, the mystique of Shogun affect you. But when you got in the octagon that night, did you all have a moment to yourself where you thought to yourself, "Holy, holy shit, I'm, I'm I'm about to fight Shogun. I'm about to fight one of one of my idols." No, I, I, I never had that feeling. Um, I, I sort of came back from it. The, the only sort of thing I remember of that walkout and getting into that octagon was, as I'm walking out, there was a fan, um, and it was clear English. When when there's loads of cheers and jeers in uh, Portuguese or Brazilian, mm-hmm. when you hear in English, and it was the English words were, you're going to die, Craig. And I remember <laughs> that, and I'm walking in, and I felt so relaxed. And then what made it even easier was his song was, uh, he came out to... Uh, Queen Under Pressure mm-hmm. now I was so far from Under Pressure in that fight it was that song just lifted me up a little bit more and when he came walking into the octagon 
he was just a he was just a man standing in front of me. Uh, his mystique, him being Shogun Hua, was not there. It was just a man, and uh, he was blocking me for my next step. And um, that's the way I looked at it, and and it, and it worked for me. And I'm going to the same attitude to this. He's just a man. Um, he's thirty. He's at the back end of thirties, so that kind of falls into my plan, uh, my my favour. I'm hungry. I want to get that title shot. That's mm-hmm. what I see in my in my my goals and in my head and everything that I'm doing now, putting my body through the the, the tough camps, um, going back to back with fight camps, so that I can get to that title shot. That is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And going, I was moving moving on from the fight itself. I know you said you specifically had uh, people drilling for for Shogun, but were there certain things that he did in the fight that kind of surprised you that you thought, okay, maybe he wouldn't be able to do given that he's now towards the end of his career and that you're now trying to, uh, well, that you've implemented into your game plan this time around? Yeah, you know, when you're up against somebody as skilled as Shogun, like, let's let's be honest, we've seen him knock people out, we've seen him submit people. Mm -hmm. I was quite taken aback that I was able to dominate, because I felt like I dominated that fight, like, regardless of what other people say or what pundits or cornermen or fight fans say, I believe that I, I, I dominated that fight. I showed that in the stand-up, and he lay on top of me, so I was quite taken aback that I'm able, and it gave me this wee bit of confidence, because you always, you always have these uh, doubts in the back of your mind, like, am I ready? three weeks notice or it was two weeks notice am I ready have I done enough and in that fight when I got in and I started unloading on him they all they all left and uh, moving into this fight my self-efficacy with regards to um, taking him down I managed mm-hmm. to do that with regards to stopping him from submitting me there was no submission attempts from him um, his takedowns he managed to get on me were made his takedowns were established by me making a mistake. So going into this fight, my, my efficacy is through the roof, but you still need to remember that this is Shogun. He can turn it on. Yeah. And in, in, interesting fact, and I, I don't know if this has been brought up to you ahead of this fight, because you, you, you touched on the topic of uh, Shogun's uh, submission prowess there. But if you were to win this fight via submission, you'd claim the record for the most submissions in UFC light heavyweight history. Are you aware yeah. of that? Yeah, um, uh, for the last fight, um, I was joint with John Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there was three or four fighters who were all joint for fifth, and uh, this would take me to uh, being the most submissions. I also hold the most triangles in the the UFC. Triangle wins by the UFC is another submission. So I've got a couple of records. I've also got the the latest uh, three round submission uh, in London against uh, Majimega Van Kalaev. So I've got a couple of these yeah. sort of, you know, these statistical records. Um, and, and, and they do mean something to me. As a fighter, you want to be like, mm-hmm. I'm at the top of this list, I'm at the top of this list. But the only list you really want to be a top of is the number one contender spot. Yeah, that, that Ankalaev one, you left it late. I, I remember tweeting on the night. I, I, I was there on the night and like you blew you blew the roof off the place with that with that last gas submission, but I think it was like 0.3 of a second that you had left, that he that yep. he had left for that. And that's 
still for me one of the craziest well one of the craziest finishes that I've seen in UFC history so the same for myself like mm -hmm. that'll go down like till this weekend that'll go down as my greatest victory because today that is that's just been one of these up and down roller coasters mm -hmm. it evoked so many emotions my contract was in the balance of not getting renewed if I'd lost that fight that would have been three losses on my contract yeah my first contract and then looking back I'm now in my third contract with the UFC uh, and I'm and I'm in the top 15 in the light heavyweight division yeah and and, and in December will be your four year anniversary that you've been in the UFC yep it's, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a quick time you like the all, all together I've only done this sport for eight years uh, maybe eight and a half years and it's been a very very short career that I have had when you compare myself to Shogun Hua, who's been mm. when I was when I was still in school, he was he was fighting. That's crazy when you when you, when, you, when you put it into that perspective because I, I what you're thirty one, you're the same age as me, I think. Yeah, so yeah, yeah thirty two. Um, but uh, yep. So he's he's been about he's he's been doing he's been in the UFC longer than I've been doing the sport, and he's been fighting longer than I've 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 even thought about doing the sport. His 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 time within this sport has been has, has been. Such a long time. He's a Hall of Famer. He last year got uh, fight uh, like one of the greatest fights in the Hall of Fame for the UFC against uh, the and Dan Henderson fight, I believe. Yep, and uh, so this is like I know how big an opportunity this is, and there's so many people out there who want this fight. There's so many people who want to fight Shogun here because he is a name within the UFC, and he will always will be. Mm -hmm. And obviously, uh, you were last in action against uh, Hamzi Murad Antigalov in uh, in July. But Shogun was also in action on on that card in the co-main event against uh, Little Nog. Was it a bit frustrating that, that obviously I know you wanted the rematch, uh, well, pretty much uh, straight away, so then you could uh, settle the score once and for all. But was it frustrating that you were both fighting on the same card and that you weren't settling the score? Um, yes and no, you know, a year, as a, for myself, I'd love to get straight back in here and fight him. Mm -hmm. But giving me another year just improves my skill. That's all that done. That year just made me a better version of who I was. And we've seen that, we've seen that in the last fight against uh, Andy Gulloff, uh, who managed to take me down, but it, it, it just highlighted how good my submission game is. Because this, is this is an opponent, uh, an Andy Gulloff, who is a master of sambo who yeah. has a very relentless pressure and his wrestling's up there with some of the best in the division right he didn't have the the, the results last fight but he's still a very dangerous opponent and I just showed that my jiu-jitsu is, is what sets me above everyone else in this division I am a submission uh, expert in the division where you've got guys who have knockout experts or like wrestlers or grinders I'm, I'm the guy that does the submissions and I'm the guy that can pull it off when you when his back's against the wall and mm -hmm. um, one thing I wanted to, to to ask you about which you which you touched on there um you, you said but obviously you have you have aspirations of, of of getting getting a title shot and now you're ranked 15th but I mean like you like like you said if you get an impressive win over Shogun your your stock will rise significantly and with the division being wide open as it is look, I know we've just got a new champion in Jan Blachowicz but the division is pretty much wide open so I mean if all things go well in 2021 well it's not beyond the realms of possibility that a title shot could soon be in the offing you know it could be Scotland 
uh, win the Euros and <laughs> this, this is what we could be saying this time next year um, but you know I have the, the ambition to achieve that um, and, I, and, I, and I do believe that my skill set will is able to see me there I, I've not had a lot of miles on the clock whereas you look at some of the fighters who've had a long careers and have taken loads of damage whereas I haven't taken that much damage when you watch my fights back yeah. I'm, 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 I'm relentless with regards to not getting hit and even now I'm, I've still got I've still got my, my, my wits about me whereas some fighters in there don't have that um, and I think that's what sets me apart from other fighters that and my submission game and and the 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 never die attitude, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm. We've seen people quit in the octagon, and the, the London the London fight against Ankalaev is, is a prime example. Like, I could have easily have quit there mm-hmm. and 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 found an escape route out of that fight and just gave up. But it's not in my my DNA, and even when I'm even when I've I've, I've been beaten for fifteen minutes, I can still turn it on. All right, Paul, uh, final question from me. After all the hard rounds preparing for Shogun, and I'm, I'm sure your your team have got his game down to a T, and with the benefit of uh, having shared the ring with him uh, for three rounds, how do you foresee this fight playing out? You know, I, every time someone asks me a question about how I'm going to finish a fight, regardless if it's Shogun, who or any, I always say I would love to knock them out. <laughs> knock them out a big bump put them down and, and flatten them in one dig um, but I'm more of a grinder I'm the guy who takes the submission I'm the I'm the jiu-jitsu guy so it's going to have to be submission um, probably second round Alright Paul thank you very much for the time as always I really do appreciate it let's not leave it so long uh, next time Yeah man anytime you want to chat give us, just drop me a message man but listen uh, safe uh, safe back home man <laughs> I'm stuck I'm in the house safe. dude um, <laughs> yeah but no um, you have a safe journey when you when you uh, when you head back and good luck on Saturday night thank you very much man I'll speak to you soon take care it seems that Paul Craig has well as as he said he's well and truly made this camp all about Shogun even getting his Padmen to move the same way that Shogun has and uh even even how shogun did it in his prime so guys what are your thoughts on the matchup and i'm gonna go first to double m this is paul craig versus shogun 2 are we gonna see anything different here i don't think so i personally feel as though this is um well paul craig's opportunity to you know show us why he was campaigning for this but i just think i just think in terms of superiority in terms of skill in terms of battle testedness shogun's just gonna show us well why he is revered why he is a legend why people put respect on his name i see shogun coming away with the with the victory this time oh you're gonna be doing some push-ups mm. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna put push-ups on that i mean the last the last fight wasn't it really close in like this slobber knocker fight and and doesn't aren't his knees like two thousand years old too? Right? Like <laughs> Kairos, help me out here. What do you think? Um, truth be told, mm-hmm. either I didn't watch the fight or I don't remember. I'm trying to play it back in my head. I cannot remember that fight 
at all. So that's why I'm a little bit like, I, shoot, I don't know. You probably don't remember it because it wasn't that great of a fight. I personally, <laughs> I, I, think I hated that fight. Drew, right? Wasn't it? <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure it, it was a draw. Quick. Yeah, I think it was. I can look it up real quick. Um, but I didn't like that fight. And I remember when they rebooked it, I was like, why? Like, who is clamoring <laughs> for this? But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking, I was like, bro, I, I'm not trying to watch it. I don't even remember the first time. But shoot, since Glover won, and <laughs> he's like 85. Who, who's to say that Shogun yeah, can't do it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Glover's knees yeah, aren't ancient, though. Decision draw. Yeah, it was. I see it right here in front of me. It was a draw. And then imagine that, a draw. Like, come on, Paul Craig. This man's knees are crack-a-lacking. He's, he had the dad <laughs> bod. He's slow, but... You know, but, you know, I will say this in their last fight, um, Shogun hung on, boy. Like, you know, he definitely tried to take it to the ground when, you know, when he was getting lit up. He, he, he did. They fought really hard, though. I will give them that. I was like, these boys came to fight. I just didn't re think it was a very pretty fight. And it, I, mm. I didn't think it was that cool. Hopefully the second time around is much better and, and stuff. But I'm picking Paul Craig. Kairos, who are you picking? Oh, oh man. You know how I feel about old people. I must hate old people or something. But <laughs> I'm picking <laughs> Paul Craig too. Yeah, I think he I think he gets it done this time. Okay. Well, also on that card is our old friend. Well, our old frenemy, and that is um, Mike Perry. Mike oh, Perry God. is clashing Tim the Bird, Dirty Bird memes and. This is what I'm bringing to the table this week. For me, it seems as though we are being gaslighted here. How is it that a man accused of battery, a man who basically has been seen on video having brawls, has been, t well, it's been told to us that before he actually uh, returns to the cage, he'll be receiving some kind of therapy. That was a fast turnaround in terms of what we've seen and especially in light of recent altercations online. I mean, you know, UFC Shana uh, actually comes to mind when, <laughs> you know, she was, I suppose for want of a better word, um, slightly threatened by um, Mike Perry. But my question is this, mm -hmm. are we being, or am I being really, really harsh when I say, this is way too soon, given all of that, putting all of that into perspective, given the fact that he was supposedly um, going through therapy. But am I being too harsh to say that putting him in the cage is not therapy? But can it actually save him? Because it seems like that's his safe space. It seems that that's where he's actually getting his, um, uh, well, I suppose medicinal recovery now i think that i might be harsh here mm -hmm. but i think that's bullshit i think that we should stick and treat him as we do any other transgressor in the ufc and he should be hit with a harsh penalty but that isn't what's happened here it would seem as though he's been given a reward and the reward is tim dirty bird means this saturday am i being harsh here reel me in what do you guys think I don't think you're being harsh at all. I, um, in fact, I, not only is he being rewarded too soon, this is a winnable fight for him, too. So this can also make him look good. It's not one mm. of those slick fights where you're like, damn, they want Paige Van Zandt out of here. You know, we know those fights. You know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> you know, they didn't even give him one of those. They gave him somebody yeah. that he could possibly beat because Tim Means is a good fighter. But that chin is suspect. And, you know, like he, Mike Perry can land on him and, and, and end this fight in a similar fashion as Nico Price. Mm. But then at the same time, Mike Perry doesn't have a very normal type of gym and training camp so we don't know how he's going to show up and how he game plans for him so Tim might win this fight because of that but at, back to what you were saying he's being rewarded and 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 at least you would think Dana would put him in some type of treatment and then also just kind of yes not just treatment but then bury him a little bit as he cuts up in the media why give him another fight let let people stop talking about him let people just forget about him, and then you put him on a card a couple of you know fights down the road. It's really interesting how the UFC mm. has not only spoken of these allegations that his ex has made, but also, like you said, Mike, rewarded him. You would think at least they would just kind of, let's just put him on the back burner until all this domestic assault. Not to, I'm not agreeing with this tr- strategy. I'm just saying, how come they're not at least giving him the seat until everything calms down? Nah, they gave him yes. a winnable fight on a main card. <laughs> And they avoid talking about any of the allegations. And there has been no discipline or anything for Mike Perry. In fact, I feel like the, the, the UFC and Dana White is actually taking his side by doing this. So, no, my God, you don't need to be real then. I think you're on to something. Kairos, what's Just up? before we come to you, Kairos, I was about to say that I put this out on um, Twitter. And it was just a very, very quick and a snap poll. 73, this was the category. I put out that um, I'm bringing Mike Perry to the table and I wanted to get a sense of the strength of feeling on Platinum because, like I say, it just seems like he's just waltz back into our lives and everybody's kind of like got open arms because nobody, there's no kind of like protest online. Anyway, mm-hmm. I put two categories that people could vote on. He is misunderstood. Fuck that white beefer. Beater, sorry. And people had to vote. So... Overwhelmingly, 73% voted, fuck that wife beater. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think this is one of your friends, G, uh, Warhorse or Warhorse Shay. That's my girl. Shay, yeah. Shay's MMA said that he has repeatedly shown a pattern of behavior. I'm not sure how fans continue to defend it. So, you know, just anecdotal evidence, kind of like, so, I suppose says to me that there is a form of protest being um, being exercised, but people just aren't saying it loud enough. So, you know, Kairos, reel me in if you think I am being unduly harsh, but, you know, what's your take on it? I don't think you're being harsh enough to be straight up with you. Like, and I'm not, right. not going to, like, just shit on them because I don't, I'm not just going to shit on people like that. But I just, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways that the UFC could have handled this. I know a lot of people are like, but are we surprised? It's always that, but are we surprised? But I feel like that's a cop-out for the UFC to do whatever they want when people say that. This man shouldn't be allowed to fight for a, a period of time, whether, like, and for us to say, I know that there's always those people who see um, cautionary tales, because I'm going to be straight up. I think Mike Perry is a cautionary tale. And they say, it always happens when they take away the last thing that was coveted to them. No, it always happens when the person doesn't get the help they need when they need it. And we're not giving mm. him the help that he needs when he needs it. I seriously, I seriously think the dude is a ticking time bomb. Yep. Like, seriously. And us allowing him to go into a cage and engage in violence temporarily is not going to solve that. Us 
and having to him accumulate more brain, brain damage and not to say brain damage like you know something you know special needs but literally brain trauma <laughs> you know yeah. that does not help whatever he's going through either and why would they book him so soon and then on top of it this guy is not also training with a camp he's not nobody is like you know what let me defensively change how you fight to get less headshots you know there are a lot of camps that are doing that that are like mm. let's spar less Let's, you know, not hit each other as hard. Let's defensively get these guys to, like, defend more so that there's less trauma to the brain. You look at Floyd. Part of the reason why he's one of the best defensive boxers, excuse me, boxers, is because he was like, I don't get hit a lot. And he said, I saw it on an interview. He wants to remember his children. And that's how he wants to win. So he's defensively sound. Mike Perry is on his own right now, training with his pregnant girlfriend, and no one's in his corner. And then he's trying to get someone to corner him, and whoever pays him the most. That's not safe either. And, and it's a ticking time bomb. And one of my friends, KGB Notorious, uh, she labeled him correctly. She was like, yeah, you keep playing with this guy. He's, he's going to become the Aaron Hernandez of the UFC maybe. Wow. That's, that's funny what, because I was about to say that, but I didn't want to go down that path. Yeah, I didn't say it. I said, I'm going to throw KGB under the bus. But <laughs> <laughs> but she you know, did tweet in terms that. Of comments, you know? Yeah, in, t- in terms of comments and people who were tweeting things, in response to that poll, um, your friend, Aronis Jackson, and friend of uh, the the other show that we have, uh, the Wocast, um he was saying that I say to anyone who defends him, they can step back and fuck their own face. There is that strength of feeling out there that, you know, people are in agreement with us who, you know, are, are probably suitably baffled as to why it is that he's been given such an easy ride. Why it is that he's been eased back into the sport? Why it is that he hasn't been benched? And he's someone you can bench. I'm sorry. I think Mike Perry's on a decline because of all of these shenanigans and the whole not Mm. having a coach in his corner. It shows he couldn't put away Mickey Gall. But when he's training and has a camp, he goes toe-to-toe with Vincent Luque. Do you know that you see the difference? To me, if you ask me, he's declining because of all that funny business. He's drinking too much. He's getting involved with things, um, criminal activity. When I mean criminal, he's not a drug dealer, but he's fighting and getting summons for simple assault. That is criminal activity. And on top of it, now there's domestic uh, violence allegations. And then he, what, he did a 30-day treatment, according to Dana. What, he get a subscription to Talkspace or some shit? Like, what type of help did he get? (laughs) And then on top of it, he keeps talking crazy online. Just recently, he told Shayna he would hit a woman if somebody stepped to his woman and he would leave a mark. And then there were allegations of the way him and his girlfriend were talking. People started to question, well, how old was she when you met her? I mean, and then this person that you're asking this question of, his girlfriend, also is pregnant. So it's a hot mess. And all I see is an accumulation of things that could lead into why KGB called him the Aaron Hernandez of UFC. And they're also yeah. not doing anything about it. Unreal. I say, and even if he's going to work there, y'all, why not put him on the back burner until all this stuff dies down? Get him a mentor. Put him in help for real. Next fight should be in six months. Get him a camp, Dana. Get him a, you know, don't just get him fake anger management. Get him a coach. You know, get him to protect his head more. Less, get him to be more defensively sound. It's just... I don't know. He needs help, and I wish he could get it. 
there's a lot of people though who are going to be taking time bombs because of the freedom that you're given as a uf i don't want to say freedom maybe that's not the best way but just the ufc has never been that whole like we are going to tell you exactly how you're going to live your life outside of the cage per se and that's been a lot of the reason why they have fighters in scenarios like this like remember how everyone i remember this tweet in my head right now Kay hansen tweeted I dropped out of high school at uh, whatever age she oh, did Lord. to chase my dreams. And everyone's like, that's so inspirational. Oh, my Jesus. Good for you, girl. Yes, queen. I'm thinking, like, this motherfucker's about to do something stupid in the next two to three years. Like, I'm already thinking, like, you about to make a huge mistake, and it's not going to be one. It's going to be numerous, numerous, and numerous, and numerous, because there's not that type of guidance around you. You didn't mature as well as you probably should have. And I'm sure you learned a lot of things in your time in high school, and I'm sure you right. learned a lot of things from the people you're around, but it's not enough. I'm, I'm like at this stage of my life and i still think to myself i still haven't matured as enough as, as i should be i say some dumb shit i do some dumb things Same. you know what i'm saying so yeah. it's just like you can't we can't sit here and say wow these people are free to do as they will and then get mad when they do it and then not take steps to prevent them from continuing to repeat the cycle yeah. like it's something has got it something has got to change there has got to be some sort of psychologist psychiatrist whatever that the UFC has to employ that has to start helping these people out. Yeah, like medical evaluations of some sort, you know, just something to just protect them a bit more and also protect the ones that are spiraling out of control. And I think I've said this before in the last show, someone like Mike Perry, he can, he can like, you know, make this a national event. He can sensationalize something soon. And now what does that do? The UFC is now involved. He's a part of that entity he's a part of that organization and let's say god forbid hypothetically speaking let's just mm -hmm. say he puts his hands on his baby mother and like he kills her that's that would be huge yeah. for the ufc mm -hmm. they would regret not doing the things that we're mentioning and i just wonder how come they don't think liability first it seems like their priority is to support his toxic masculinity and get him on a card right away and never to discuss the allegations and tweets i just why would you go in the opposite direction it's almost pigheadish, or you want to support toxic masculinity? It's weird. Hmm. But sticking with that card, I'm I'm just intrigued on your your thoughts before we wrap up on UFC 255 and what you're actually looking forward to. Because for me, it's all about the people's main event: Joaquin Buckley, Jordan Wright. Man, that's going to be fireworks. Uh, How about you, Kairos? What yeah. are you looking forward to? Um. I mean, I don't think that fight's going to be competitive, but uh, I think it'll be an exciting knock. Because, like, I already have the opinion on Joaquin before, and I though, like, a lot of people are going to be like, no, you just saw the knockout, but no, I know what he's capable of. It's going to be an easy fight for him. But I guess the other fight that I'm looking towards is Brandon Royval versus Brandon Moreno. Um, and I, uh, what was the other one? I'm curious to see what the hell Alan Joban has been doing. He has been gone for like 52 years, right? modeling for Versace. He's like wearing the fresh cologne and shit. And I'm just like, bro, are you a model or are you a professional fighter? And I feel like right now, there's a lot of people who have been in the UFC for like five to six plus years who have just been going off doing their own shit and choosing when they want to come back and entertain these demons i'm just like i don't think it works that way man i don't think you got it anymore like you came you beat mike perry a few years back when mike perry was on that streak and like people are like all right great and then you hit like a tough loss that you probably shouldn't have lost but i'm just sitting here thinking to myself 
now is not the time for you to be testing these games. It's during COVID. People were sick for money. They're fighting for their families. And you out here trying to get your Versace ass inside the octagon and get a win? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if it's going to go that way for you, but we'll see. How about you, G? What are you looking forward to? Um, Let me take a look. Um, I'm looking forward to the Dirty Bird hopefully destroying Mike Perry. I'm not going to lie. Um. That fight intrigues me because it was what I said. No camp versus someone in a camp. I'm really, really, I have like my, I have so many thoughts about Mike Perry doing things in this unconventional safe way. And if I don't mm. see any improvements from the Mickey Gall fight, I'm going to still keep talking about this. This kid needs a camp. And Tim Means better take advantage of that. So I want to see how Mike Perry is with this whole, you know, that's not having a camp thing. So that fight intrigues me. And let me see if there's any more. Oh, uh, Brandon Moreno and, and Brandon Roval most definitely does. And this is this is a fight I'm really high up on, y'all. Daniel Rodriguez versus Nicholas Dalby. We ready for this? These men fight like two dogs, and that's what they're going to do. So. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Antonio Shevchenko and Ayan Lipsky. <laughs> Man, I can't wait for that. I'm not, I'm not, Come on I'm not tripping. Hold on a minute. Is, is, that, is that laughter there? Cause I'm laughing. You want to know why I'm laughing? Did you see the violence queen? First of all, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm I'm dissing the violence queen and not because of what you guys think. I just don't like everyone <laughs> equates Valentina Shevchenko's skill to Antonina Thank for you, some Tyrus. strange reason. Thank you, Everyone, I'm oh, no, just I No, no. No, no pause. Ariel Lipsky is the violence queen. That's her uh, nickname. But I can I have an opinion about I put all my money on her. Yeah, but she's been violent what once? She That's came out I'm and saying, lost a whole bro. bunch of fights at what? first and didn't show us any violence. Remember, like, she, do you remember the UFC kind of hyped her off that nickname for yeah. real, for real? And then we were like, yes. bro, she's about to be cut. And then finally she ripped off some lady's leg off. And mind you, the lady's leg she ripped off is somebody everybody beats up. So, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, like, no, I'm not. And then this sister is the, you know, the bootleg dollar store sister versus the lady that took a while to heat up to get violent and only could get violent against somebody that everybody. Nah, man, I'm not excited. I'm I mean, I am, but I'm you, not. I, I am, thank but I'm not. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. I'd rather. I'm I know, not it. I know Daniel Rodriguez and Nicholas Dalby are going to stand in there and somebody's going down. With these two women, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, also, um, taking place as we speak, actually. Um, well, when this uh, podcast goes out, they will be uh, doing battle. Caldwell versus McKee. Anybody uh, got any love for, oh, uh, yes. for these two gentlemen? I'm going to be real, guys. I think Caldwell is going to be shooting across the cage for his life, yep. and it's not going to go well. I don't think he's going to get more than two takedowns. I might say he might not get one. He might and get I a knee to the face. <laughs> wow. McKee is good. Know. And not to say Caldwell isn't, but I'm with Kairos. I just think at some point... McKee is going to catch him, and most people that get caught by him go down, and then he's hella explosive. Um, if if Conwell can't like smother him and just get those takedowns, he's in trouble. Mm, how sad is it though that as the co-main event, I know it was last minute, but Ben Henderson, twenty-eight nine, versus Jason Jackson, Jamaica's own Jam Jason Jackson, twelve oh, and four. He's a yardy boy. Twelve okay. and four. Ooh, That's that ain't gonna end well. Wait, what do you mean? What do you? I want to hear what you got to say. <laughs> 
Yeah, me too. Why is <laughs> it that going to end well? Benson going to steamroll this guy. I mean, I'm sure hoping that's the case. Yeah, I'm so. Me and Kyra survived. Yeah, I know. Like, like, what is word? What mic is off? Yeah, girl? Like, I feel like Mike ate shrooms before the show or some <laughs> shit. Like you, all right? <laughs> yeah, like Benson has, Henderson is not the same fighter he was when he was on fire and you know all flexible, sexy nah, with the toothpick. Like, this is a gimme. Come on. Chandler just smoked him easy. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I still have recency bias, but. He should. I'm with Kairos. He should beat this dude. Yeah, but. he's Jason Jackson from Jamaica. I, I, <laughs> 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 when you say it like that, I just think to Come myself. On. Yeah, I was like, I know. Mike like it, man. Jamaica. Jamaica. Right? <laughs> he ain't my boy, first of all. Second of all, I don't know him. But what I, I don't think there's going to be any domination. I think this might just be a fight where we see two guys play it safe. And then, like, it's like, all right, well, we don't know who wins. Whoever the judges say won. And that is Benson's style, too. Ooh, he drove me crazy with that shit. I have a quick question, Mike. Can I slip something in real quick? Yeah, go for it just before we wrap up. Yo, what do you think about um, the UFC cutting Juicier Formiga? Am I saying his name right? Juicier Formiga, yeah. Um, Yo, they cut him. That was a bit of a shock. I I couldn't couldn't remember the last fight, but I I swear that he was on a he was on a win the last one, right? No, no, no. He lost the last three, but look who he lost to, which is why I'm like, why was he cut? He lost to Alex Perez, who is now fighting Figgy. You know, Figueredo. Yeah. So he lost to a title contender. Obviously, Alex beat him and got the title shot. Brandon Marino, who is a dog. Like, you know, like, that's a hard fight. And then our one and only Joseph Benavides. These are respectable losses. And he's the only man in the whole wide world in any organization to beat who? Davis and Figueredo. The UFC can do some type of rematch grudge match. Nah, but to be fair. Why'd they cut him? To be fair, it's kind of simple and plain. Dana's been saying this a lot, and it's only been kind of like resonating because I've seen the cuts. Because, I, okay, my bad, I thought that he was on a win, but obviously three losses, that's the staple. That is basically the, the get-out-of-jail card. That is what will get you shifted from the UFC. The three losses. but juicier, though, he's, uh, it is standard, but I don't think this is a standard um flyway yeah am i tripping you're not tripping what do you think he's not standard. the standard is such bullshit because half the time they don't follow it first of all there was a period mm. of time you, where oh uh, who is it in the welterweight division his name is it's, last name starts with an e or whatever the dude was getting knocked out every single fight guys and he went on like a crazy losing streak it was like four or five jake ellenberger he didn't get cut during oh, that yeah. you got Ronda Marcos, who can't win a, she couldn't pay to win a fight. She's still in the UFC. You got so many people (laughs) who are just, who will hit that three hitch mark and they won't go. So it's either it's a tight rule or it's not. Also, Formiga's ranked too. Formiga was like ranked like number nine or ten. So I'm just sitting here like. And the. And the losses are three murderous rows. These aren't prelim fighters. All three people. Brandon Moreno is eventually going to fight for a title, especially if he wins his next fight. These are all title contenders that he lost to. That's a murderous row. And it just makes me a little nervous, y'all, because I fuck with the flyweight division. I don't give a fuck that these men are little. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those types of fans. And I don't care that they're super fast, and I don't even know what's going on sometimes. I fuck with this division. And I'm nervous that they're clearing it out already, or they just don't give a fuck about it with this cut. I don't know. Mm. I'm nervous. You're making it sound as though they've suddenly just chanced upon this this notion. That's always been the case. And it's only now 
that, well, I suppose more and more people are, are kind of like cottoning on. Well, it's not really a division that is sought after. It's not really a division that people pay a lot of attention to. You may be, because you're a purist, sure. but right. other people look at this and be like, mm, meh. And maybe he's expensive, maybe for where he is, being that he's elite and at the top. Maybe they did throw that three loss thing at him, yeah. too, because maybe he cost a little bit of money because he's not... He's not unranked, he's pretty good, and he has that win over Figgy. So maybe when he goes into negotiations, he gets paid, you know, a fee that the UFC would rather pay for, you know, less with a contender series pup, you know? Put so. it this way, Dana's out here talking about the fact that he's got to look after 450 to 500 fighters. He's got so many mouths to feed. This is one less mouth to feed. End of yep. problem. But do you really think he wants to get rid of the flyweights? I mean, why would he risk trying to bring Cody Garbrandt down there to be a champion if he was trying to really rid the division? Yeah, but then, like, that's true. And Cody is injured. He's not dead. It's like he'll recover, and then they'll still book the fight. But I I just – this just kind of got me thinking. Like I said, it gave me a little anxiety because – I'm with Kairos on this and Mike. Mike, when most fighters have three losses in a row, you Mm, get cut. Yeah, like people like, you know, like if Shayna Dobson had not won that fight against Maria Akapovo, she's a wonderful athlete, but if she had lost that fight, she might have been cut. Juicier Formiga is ranked and high up there and part of the elites, and he also has a storyline, and I'm sure Figgy wants that um, win back, and he's the champ right now. Who's he going to fight after Cody Carbrandt? You know, like I just, this threw me off and it made me nervous. <laughs> but we'll see where he goes. He'll fit in plenty of other places, rise it. You know what I mean? Like, he's a good fighter. So I don't, I think he'll get picked up very quickly. More than likely. Mm-hmm. And that's the show. That has been Shots Fired. We're uh, putting our, uh, our, our bullets back on the shelf. Do you keep bullets on the shelf? I wouldn't know. I do. Uh,. I Back keep in them the box. in my drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically. I ain't got a gun yet. It's coming, though. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of all over the house, but it's all good. <laughs> well, enjoy the fights wherever you're watching them on the planet, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Separate the weak from the opposite. Leap hard to creep them Brooklyn Street. It's on against stop all that bickering beat.